First Kings chapter eighteen, verse one. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, "Go to thyself and Ahab, and I'll send rain upon the earth." And Elijah went to show himself to Ahab, and there was a sore famine in Samaria. And Ahab called a Obadiah, which was governor of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, for it was so when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water. I'm going to ask for James Hoffman to lead us from word of prayer this evening. Amen. Maybe I want to consider for in the life of Obadiah here for just a moment. Elijah usually, when we read First Kings eighteen, is the man that gets all the attention and the famous moment in Mount Carmel when he calls down fire from heaven and. Uh, I know this has been preached on dozens of times, but it doesn't change the fact this is one of the greatest moments in all of the Old Testament, and to see the prophets of Baal destroyed. But it was just a flash of revival, just a moment. But there's one man here that is forgotten in the chapter, and it's Obadiah. I, I've heard Obadiah's name mentioned only a couple times in services over uh, the course of my life. Usually, it's in a negative context. Usually, it is someone mentioning him to be a compromiser, which uh, I just don't consider to be the truth based on what we see here in this chapter. Uh, but here's what I want you to notice. People uh, are simply in agreement with Elijah when they consider him a compromiser. And they would say, how is it that a man of God could live in the house of Ahab, be the governor of his house, and do right, not compromise. Um, how is it that he could be that invisible, that long-lived under those circumstances? But here's what the Bible says in verse 3. God's Word, inspired by the Holy Spirit, what God said, Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. The Bible says verse 12. Uh, that he feared the Lord God from his youth. And I want to just give a shout-out tonight to Obadiah and to his wife for just a moment. I want to thank God for all those that are living for God in very difficult circumstances. I'm talking about people that aren't called into full-time service, but they're living full-time for God. I'm talking about people that wake up every day and work a job surrounded by you know, wicked men just like Ahab and Jezebel. And just the fact that they come to church, get pumped up, and leave here on Sunday night thinking, I'm going to live for God, I'm going to witness, I'm going to do everything I can for the cause of Christ, I'm going to live by Bible principle, and then they go to work in a company that's woke. It, we think Jezebel died off thousands of years ago, and Ahab and his wicked philosophy, but 
I think maybe the, the music that Obadiah had to endure and the environment and the homosexuality and everything that he had to deal with on a daily basis, maybe there are some Obadiahs here that have to deal with the same thing on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. And some might consider them a compromiser because they would say, how can they live in those circumstances and still be a Christian? It's called prudence. It's called discretion. It's called wisdom. Let me just tell you tonight my opinion. I think it was a lot more difficult for Obadiah to do what he was doing in the circumstances in which he found himself living. It was easier for him to do that than it was for Elijah to call down fire from heaven, slay the prophets of Baal, and then in chapter 19, run for his life and hide in a cave. Just my personal opinion. Now, those of you that are Obadiah here, you know that if Obadiah had run in fear, he would have lost his job. And then who feeds all those prophets? But crazy enough, chapter 19, verse 10 and 14, we see that Elijah didn't have much respect for Obadiah. Twice he says, I even... I only, you know, there are missionaries and pastors that tend to have the I and I alone complex. We're the only ones in the whole country. We're the only ones in the whole city. And I just said, I'm the only one. You just threw Obadiah under the bus. Here's a man that's maintaining the Bible says in verse 4, a hundred prophets allowed food and water. Let me ask you this. This is a time of famine. How, how does a man come up with enough food to feed a hundred prophets? Three meals a day for years. I don't believe, I don't believe he's a thief. I don't, I don't believe he was doing this from the king's pantry. I believe he was making great sacrifices to make this happen. He knew no accolades. We didn't talk about Elijah. We don't talk about Obadiah. But he was the one making great sacrifice. And I believe Victory Baptist Church has a lot of Obadiah. Men just waking up every day, going to company, working at a company, and here's what happens with godless corporations. They wake up on Monday morning, early in the morning, uh, on the way to work, uh, having their devotion, listen to their Bible app, praying, asking God to give wisdom and strength during the day, and ready to do something for the cause of Christ. And, and then they've got to deal with people that don't even know what sex they are. Uh, they, they get to deal with uh, a Jezebel that's the boss that, that wants you to know that you are. The oppressor, and she's been oppressed, so now it's time to switch roles and play different games. Thank God, I just want to say tonight, thank God for Obadiah. Some of you are looking shocked because it's only not what we hear at a mission conference. I just want to say thank God. You're going to wake up, and, and this week, some of you are going to have to decide if you take a vaccine, you don't take a vaccine, what's your boss going to do? What do you allow you to do? You're going to have to give up your livelihood. 
or, or, or take a back seat, and you're, you're going to find a way to get more and more uncomfortable in those circumstances every single day, because the closer we get to coming the Lord Jesus Christ, the further you get from being acceptable in this society. And that was Obadiah every day, waking up here and, and working in the house of Ahab and Jezebel, only to be considered a compromiser. So he they commanded to share his faith. And if he does, he'll get his head cut off. Does that make him a compromiser? Well, his, he feared the Lord. God said, now, my life is a preacher a whole lot different than your life. So let me tell you what I do. I wake up and, and go to school, at the Christian school, at about 8 o'clock in the morning, and, and surrounded by, as far as I know, just about everyone there's a Christian. People smile at in the Bible. Then I go to the Bible college. Uh, teach it class or two, then I go out normally uh, to lunch uh, with someone in our church, and then I, in the afternoon, study and have appointments. Tuesday night, I preach in a Spanish church. Wednesday night, I preach in an English church, and it, it's rinse and repeat. You don't get to go to a Christian environment where people carry their Bibles. If you carry the Bible, you know the trouble you would be in as soon as you walk through the door. If you were a student in Thai, you talked about Jesus, you, you know, here's, here's a good thing that a pastor could do. Yeah, I, I go to Christian school where they don't have any any uh, choice but to be in agreement. But you're going to company where no one is in agreement with what you believe. Now, look at this in verse 12 of the chapter. He said, I, thy servant, fear the Lord from my youth. Now, let me ask you this. Who had taught him to fear the Lord? Was that a prophet? Was that a mom or dad? I don't know. Someone did, and obviously he's been faithful now for decades. No church, no completed Bible, no support team, no youth activities, no Bible conferences. Just someone that had instilled in him a deep fear of God that would last a lifetime, not in normal circumstances, but in some of the most adverse environments that any Christians have ever seen in their lifetime. While others are changing, while others are dying, while others are standing, getting themselves killed, Obadiah remains faithful to fear God. And here's why it's so important that we instill in these young people a deep root of fear of God, because as much as we'd like to think that God's going to raise up out of the church a bunch of Elijah, most of these young men are going to end up in Obadiah. They're going to find themselves working in Ahab's house. They're going to find themselves employed by Jezebel. And they're going to have to learn how to function and most likely spend their lives feeding God's prophets Getting all that little accolade is the criticism. The only thing that's going to carry them through those troubled waters is a deep fear of God. Now, you're going to do one of two things. You're either going to fear God, you're going to fear Ahab. The person in the message is not at all. 
I've seen more fear in the house of God among the people of God over the past 18 months. At some point, we have to get back to a faith in God. I do not believe for a minute that Obadiah was a coward. I do not see this as cowardice. I don't see him as cowering in the palace. He was doing what he could for the cause of Christ and saying, I can maintain those prophets alive. I can make sure they get fed. I can do the work of God right here if God provides me an opportunity. I may not be Elijah, but I can certainly sustain the next Elijah to be. Now, really, I don't want to talk about Obadiah. Tonight, I want to talk about Obadiah's wife. Because somebody had to make a lot of bread. Have you ever considered, here's a woman that has a husband in a position of importance it says, I, I know how prophets that are hungry and we need to sustain them. And she says, that's great to tell me about the in, increased budget here. Well, I don't know exactly how we're going to do this, but uh, I'll, I'll make sure that you've got the money. I'll make sure you have the flour. Uh, and suddenly her house became a bakehouse. You didn't have the same level of bread stuff. You didn't have... Now, I'm just wondering in my mind how she avoided the suspicion because at first you're breaking, breaking 10 loaves and then 20 loaves. I don't know how this got started. Did he start with 10 and the group grew? Uh, uh, did, did he start with 100? I don't know. But I do know this. There's a woman here that's forgotten behind the, the scenes. And uh, let, me, let me tell you, when a woman is having to provide for 100 profits, that means it's affecting her profit. Now, if, if you're married, for, the, for those of you that are single, you'll figure this out. And, uh, uh, a wife uh, is, is pretty good with life, as long as her husband is decent, kind, nice, and she has a nest. And then she, the older, she gets the more trinkets she would like in her nest. And if she doesn't mind, but if she grows older, her sister has more trinkets, so she needs more trinkets as well, and she's going to need a nicer couch. And uh, here's, here's what I think. I, I, I think, for the most part, people thought, oh, but I had a decent career. I mean, he's a politician. He's, he's got a cushy job. Surely he has some stocks and bonds, and he's got some money set aside, maybe a little bit of silver and gold, and he's, he's got his investments. And it's just strange that we go over to their house. His furniture is so simple, and her car is so old. That's because he's maintaining profit. That's because he's saying, hey, I'm just guessing we got a few more mouths to feed. This was a time of famine. Now, in during a time of famine, preacher, I don't have anybody in my church single-handedly sustaining, supporting a hundred prophets. And here's a man that said, uh, we could do a little bit more. There's a few more men that we can help out. We got one in Nigeria, one in Nicaragua, and one down in Argentina. We got two more in Mexico. And uh, I, I just think that God would have us to sustain these prophets, good men, 
And, and let, let me just say this. Let me first a few bubbles tonight. Even if they're hiding in a cave, they're still one of the best investments you can make. Since there's COVID, they can't even get out. The churches are shut down, and I still think they're a better investment than just about anything else you spend your money on. You know, let's talk about Miss Obadiah because her couch is not as new, and her her car is ten years old, and he's tires, her vacations are not as long, and he says, honey, we're going to eat out less, and we're going to live a simpler life, and now you, you know what goes through a woman's mind, she's, she has an imagination, she has emotions, and she's watching the prophets of God have their heads cut off, and she goes to bed at night saying, my husband's a prophet of God, and he he runs their house, and he's sneaking food out. We're, we're, we're delivering food for hundred. How do you do this? If you have underground tunnels, I mean, I, I remember North Korea going over there years ago and going up up with the missionary in China on the on the border there of North Korea in, in Yonki, and I. I said, how do, you, how do you get the Bibles out? He said, well, we've got a five o'clock delivery. He said, I don't know them, and they don't know me, but I just hit this button. The door goes up, motorcycle goes in. The Bible's going to crate. He takes five, they'll get across the border. And five o'clock, we walk to the window, and he hit the button. And five floors go up, the garage door goes up, motorcycle goes in, and the door sits down. Five minutes later, open back up, and he drives out. Maybe Brother Obadiah had a system like that one. <laughs> Remote control garage door with a bed uh, for the delivery boy. I don't know how he did it. All I know is the person that really paid for it was Mr. that. Because he was the man with the vision. He was the woman with the oven. And Obadiah said, honey, we were going to did a few more of God's men, and he said, okay, which meant less for her house, and goodwill, and discounts at J.C. Penney, and coupons, and you know what we have here tonight? Men's Obadiah. So, while their family and friends are out there now in their 40 and 50, and the house is almost paid off, and not trinkets, but they actually have beautiful furniture, and brand new vehicles, not a Saturn, but a BMW, and all uh, they do when they come by, say, your house always smells like bread. You sure love to cook. Aren't you glad to the Miss Obadiah that are willing to say, Honey, if, if you believe God wants us to feed another prophet, let's just go feed another prophet. Here's what I think. I think she laid in bed at night and thought, I, I wonder when my husband's going to get fired. I wonder when my husband will lose his job for for being a man of God and for being a Christian in a woke generation. 
I, I wonder when he won't be able to blend the in, fit in, when he sticks out too much, too far, and finally the company's going to say, we're done with you. I wonder what's going to happen to us because we've invested in the profits and when we don't have a large 401k and we don't have a great retirement package and everything that we've had, we just invested in feeding the profit. That's over to us. Why? Let me just say this. I would guess, knowing the way men work, he most likely didn't even know the profits. You know, men, normally you're making that faith promise commitment, and you're being the prophet, you've given up not just money she could have and nicer things in her house and a better vacation and a better retirement. But she's supporting, for the most part, people. She doesn't know, just like you tonight, when preacher asks, how many, you know, Brother Ruth. There were only a few that had met him before. You know, you have sitting next to you, you have the vision, and next to you have a bread maker. They're saying, we could use that in our own house. And for my, how many of you, Miss Obadiah, sitting here tonight, could use a new car, a new sofa? Or you'd have to make your bedsteads probably 20 years old that could be replaced. Amen? Now, let me just say this. Here's what happens when God asks you to sacrifice, when God has you sacrifice, He actually allows you to sacrifice. Here's what we think that and is often taught wrong teaching. And you know what? If, if, if you give, and you give the message, it's just going to be phenomenal how God gets back to you, and we relate that to the financial. It's simply not true. If it were true, everybody would give. Can you imagine? Oh, well, how'd you buy that new BMW? I started giving a mission. I'm giving a mission. You move over to Circle C. That's a beautiful house. How'd you buy it? I started giving a mission. Come back out the missions conference and everybody that starts participating in missions and driving new cars and buying bigger houses and nicer suits and the ladies are dressed in finer clothes. And you just, so what's happening to the church? We started giving them it. We know better than we know. Yes, we know, but usually God's blessings are not always the financial. That's part of it. Uh, but it's the spirit. God blesses us in our youth. God blesses us in our marriages. God blesses us in our ministries. There's so many different ways. And it's not measured always by the financial, and I, I wish it were. I know I've had preachers stand on my pulpit and lie. Money is not the source of happiness, they say. That's a lie. I had money in my pocket made me pretty happy. <laughs> and I've been the source before without it, and I wasn't happy. I'm not saying it's the source, I'm saying it is a source. I'm in agreement with that tonight. Well, you're much happier you've got a little jingle in your pocket. Ladies, you you rather go to the mall with cash in your purse, or money is simply not the, the source they have. We, we, you know, preachers don't lie. Don't lie to people. They're not that dumb. And here she is, husband. 
with, with supposedly a good job and, and everything going for but he's living a life of simplicity. He's living a life of outside of the spirit world, almost no relevance, relevance at all. Let me ask you this. I think sometimes in, in, in Scripture we overlook people that shouldn't be overlooked, but here's a woman who is, who literally, husband is either forgotten, overlooked, where he is recognized, he doesn't want him to be recognized. He knows every day is a risk, and all he needs to do is supply bread to a hundred prophets. Now go with me to Second Kings for just a moment. I want to thank those of you that are sitting here this evening that have lived a life similar to Obadiah, to those of you women that have lived life similar to the life of Obadiah. Now, I don't like to surmise. I don't like to suppose. But Jewish history in itself us that the woman here in chapter 4 of 2 Kings is Obadiah's wife. Josephus agrees. Let's see what it says about this woman. 2 Kings 4, verse 1. Now they're trying to assert a woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets and Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. That would lead me to believe it. Most likely it's Obadiah. Thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. That would lead me to believe most likely it was Obadiah. The creditor has come to take unto him my two sons to be bombing. And I just said to her, What do I do for thee? That leads me to believe it's the wife of Obadiah. Because Elijah had given a little time, a little respect to Obadiah. Now that he's dead, he feels bad. His wife. Is suffering. So, whether or not you believe this Obadiah's wife is not of great importance. What is of great importance is for us to understand that when we give and when we sacrifice and when we serve, too often Christians can be disappointed thinking that a life of sacrifice guarantees a retirement of comfort. Or some great financial return. Because once again, I want to remind you, I have invested my life in missions. And as a child, and then as a young missionary, you all support us in Argentina and Mexico. And now as a pastor for 12 years, Captain about to church, everything that we do, and all of our financial focus is missions. I need to tell you, preacher, if we measure the benefit, Financial skills. If we only look at the financial ramifications or how God blessed us in that area, there, there would be a surprise. Look what it says. My wife said, What should I do for thee? Tell me what thou hast in the house. And she said, Thy handmaid hath not anything in the house 
save about you would think that after all those years, her uncle was a governor, he had a life of a politician, certainly she would have some leather furniture. A real silver silverware, right? What about some fancy rice that'll work a little bit of money? Maybe a painting from a famous painter in the kingdom? No. He had a pot of oil. And he said, go borrow these vessels of blood out of all my neighbors, even empty vessels, borrow out a few. And when I come in, thou shalt accept the door upon me and upon my sons, and thou shalt pour out into all those vessels, thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him, shut the door upon her, and upon her sons, and brought the vessels to her. And she poured it out, and it came to pass when the vessel was full, that she sent her son, bring me yet a vessel, and he sent to her, there's not a vessel more. The oil stayed. Last verse, read it together with me. And then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil. Take thy debt. God's retirement plan for her. Live thou and thy children of the rest. Now, here's, here's all I, I got to say because I'm 50 years old. My life's been invested in missions. 30 years in ministry. What I saw and lived and imagined when I was 20 and going to the mission field and planting churches and seeing money raised and living by faith and things have changed and uh, people have changed and churches have changed and times have changed. Life is changed. But I remember as a kid, there was a generation that believed in faith, and they believed that by faith we please God, and by faith we live. And I believe that was Obadiah's motto. But I've seen a generation now, 30 years later, who didn't believe exactly like they preached. Now, I need you to hold, hold on, hold on, buckle up. I never preached this at a major conference, and I'm, I may never preach it again. But, but I just want to get across a few simple points. And number one is, I'm, as a missionary, very thankful for you as the Obadiahs that have said hundreds of God's prophets, because I was one of those who you said for 15 years. And I've met many of those that you have said, and I'm grateful for your investment in them. Thank you. And for those of you married to Obadiah, those of you that are the wives of Obadiah, and you've been with less, and you have less, and you will have less, I tip my hat to you and say thank you. But I want to talk to an aging generation now that is literally destroying a younger generation. Because there was a time when preachers preached and people came forward and young people turned to the mission field, and those days are almost over. And, and I believe it's because what we see right here in chapter 4 of Second Kings, because we, we did not believe what we taught, that by faith we please God, and whether or not that brought a financial reward, we still live by faith. 
and we still please God. And as this generation aged, and they realized God may actually allow my sacrifice to be sacrificed. And that sounded good at 20. And it sounded okay at 30. But now, with the reality of, I don't quite have what I'd like to have at 50. I, I don't have the, the financial freedom that I want to have at 60. I may actually have to borrow a few, sell a little, and live on the rest. And this has devastated missions. Because we have some that are repenting and others that are looking at Obadiah's widow and saying, certainly with all that sacrifice and certainly with all that bread making and certainly with all that you invested in the prophets, don't you think that God should have done you better? This is too frank tonight. So we have scared the living believers out of the next generation. We have told them, you don't want to live by faith, look at me. I'm here to tell you if my retirement program is a pot of oil, I'm a happy camper. I'm here to tell you my wife has been the wife of Obadiah at times in her life, and she's done with less, and she's made great sacrifice. But I can tell you there are women in our Baptist churches that have done with much less, and they never lived one day on the mission field. Several years ago, I was hunting with one of our men from the church, David Dilworth, who gives tens of thousands of dollars, one of the best missions givers I know, tens of thousands of dollars to, to missions. And, we're driving down the road and telling stories and laughing, and uh, the guy that I was today, David, hey, you, you, you go fast about your kitchen remodel. And I said, no, what are you talking about, your kitchen remodel? And he said, well, I think we finally got it done. I said, I didn't know you were in the middle of one. He said, well, it just took longer than we expected. I said, what happened? Well, we tore everything apart, and then I realized I didn't quite have the money. Uh, we lost a few jobs and have the money that I thought we had. And I just would as he did, and they said she was driving down the road. She'd been two months without a thing. Two months! They're giving tens of thousand dollars to make. Two months without a thing, preacher. She's driving down the road. She sees a metal thing thrown out on the side of the road. She picked it up, took it home, tossed it up in her backyard, and walked beaches out of a trashed-out metal thing for two months! That's Obadiah's wife. You say, Pastor, if I give it, here, here's the problem. We blind the people. We blind the people at our missions conferences. If you step out by faith, you're going to get a raise. That's going to drop $10,000 in your life. Now, let me tell you a secret that that same man that I'm talking about, his wife pulled that. That, that thing, uh, uh, the garbage on the side of the road, he, he called me on Monday night. He said, Preacher, you're not going to believe this. And when Sutek's whole trailer, he's talking about Brother Sutek, when he left, he had that whole trailer that he traveled around, the painting of the twin towers on the side of it, that thing sat out at the ranch forever. 
And I, I told my brother, we got to get rid of this sign. He said, we couldn't sell it. He said, we got to repaint it. No one wants to buy it with the gospel verse written all over the side of it. I said, repaint it, do it. And we, we couldn't give it away. We couldn't sell it. Dave took it down, used it for storage. And there was a quick story. So what do we do with this? I said, listen, we got to still try to sell it. Just pray that God does something for mission. If David starts praying, God, we're giving every dime of this mission to hell. What do we do? Who will buy it? Last week, he did a business deal, exchange that for $7,000. Every dime goes to mission. There's a man that lives for mission. But if you go to Ms. Obadiah's house, and you just take a tour around this 35-year-old structure. Still needs a heap of remodeling. You might not at first sight consider that the blessing of God. Go with me to Hebrews 11 and we're done. Say, Pastor, you trying to encourage your commissions or discourage us? I'm trying to provide you a reality tonight. They fed a hundred prophets, sustained them, maintained them alive, and at the end of the day, Elijah and other preachers refer to him as a compromiser. Miss Obadiah, anybody here ever heard a message on Miss Obadiah? No one. She's a forgotten lady. Anybody ever heard of any accolades? Miss, Miss Obadiah wasn't there for all those famous moments. I don't think she was out, out there on Mount Carmel. I don't think she got to see the firefall. I think she was baking Britain. And she was in her prayer closet on her knees saying, this is only going to make things worse for Obadiah. Because by the time Elijah leaves, and Jezebel has been angry now, for weeks she's out of her mind. Anybody that says anything about Jehovah God is going to die. Do you guys understand something? The situation she was living. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. These all died of how? Okay. Not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, they were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Do they that say such things declare plainly? Did they seek a country? Now, this is missions. Here's all I want you to see tonight. This missions. Missions is about you declaring, this is not my country. I seek a different country. I seek a better country. Not, not just the missionary that says this because he leaves his own country and goes to another country because he's seeking a better country. This is the person sitting in the pew. The bypass says, this is not my home. This is not my country. I'm seeking something better. 
than the earthly goods provided by this life in this country. They that say such things declare plainly they speak the comfort. And truly, if they'd been mindful of that comfort once they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. And many are mindful, and many do return. Oh, church, if it, I, I just want to help you tonight. I don't think I am, but I, I wish I could. But now they desire a better country. I ain't made it through the past 18 months, and you just said, boy, I just <laughs> But because we wanted an escape from this country. I don't think that's what he's talking about. Truly a desire for God, not an escape path. Now that you have a better country that is in the heavenly, wherefore God is what? Not those that live by faith. God is not ashamed to be called their God. Now, church, can I leave you at this thought tonight? We're having mission conference. Our job as preachers is to connect you to mission, tell you what's happening around the world, get you excited about what God has plan for this church, that there is a reality that American Christianity doesn't know. And this reality is we have been taught and trained to seek a discounted Christianity that we don't have to pay full price for. I want to serve you, but I want 50% off the full price. While others have known the cost of serving Jesus, I'm fearful that the past 20 years in missions, we have we have given not uh, not out of sacrifice but out of excess. The days ahead are about ready to prove that. But I'm shocked now to be living with a generation that are looking at Obadiah is dead, and the wife says, I have nothing. And pastors and missionaries that are saying, maybe we gave too much. Maybe we sacrificed too much. Maybe we worked too hard. Because their mind ultimately came back to the earth. And the eternal, it's out there somewhere. At the end of the day, we've been caught up in a society that says you need to measure everything by what you have and how comfortable you feel and how well you leave this earth and how much you've accumulated. And I'm convinced Miss Obadiah sat there having baked all that bread and she looked at a pot of oil. And I said, all those prophets. And I don't even have flour to make bread for myself. And God, see, I got to cut it. You just get to live another minute. You're not going to have excess. So church, here's really what I'm going to ask you because I think our times are changing, the days are changing, and if the Lord carries our finances will change. And the real question is, 
Sooner or later, we're going to be asked, are we truly willing to sacrifice? To reach the world and feed the prophets? Or are we only going to the cover and we're looking at the excess bread and saying, you know what? I've got a few cans of beans here that I can spare and an old box of cereal and a few bags of pasta and a bag of rice and beans. And that won't affect anything in our lifestyle or anything in our future. Let's give it to the prophet. Because church, we may be at a dividing point in the history of the church in the United States of America. Well, maybe for the first time in decades, maybe half a century, you're going to figure out if you're truly an Obadiah and a wife of Obadiah willing to say, I want at the end of my life to live a life so consumed by faith that God is not ashamed to be called my God. Father.